Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners, welcome to the 122nd ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsports.com. As always... I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week. Among, quite possibly, the best weeks, sports weeks of the year. Also in a few minutes, we will be joined by our baseball historian, Chaz Scoggins. And later, our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Well, my highlight of the week is Comeback Sunday. Six days ago in Boston, uh, it was just an absolutely incredible day, one of the all-time great days in Boston sports history, some are saying the greatest day ever. Uh, of course, it got going uh, early evening with Tom Brady's miraculous comeback against the uh, Saints at, right here at Gillette Stadium. I was there, longtime Patriot season ticket holder. So it was just uh, one of the best games at Gillette Stadium in many a year. And the place was absolutely juiced and electric all evening long. It was a 425 start. And just a spectacular game, to say the least. And then followed a mere few hours later by uh, Big Poppy's Grand Slam. Need I say more? Uh, the Sox were dead in the water in... Uh, in game two, looking to go down 2-0 for, uh, with the first two games of Fenway against the Detroit Tigers in the ALCS. And for all intents and purposes, this game was over. The Sox offense was just dead, beyond dead. They had basically uh, hardly even had a hit in two nights. And then out of nowhere, Big Poppy does what Big Poppy does. Hits a grand slam, obviously the hit of the year. And... Truly, again, uh, talked to some people who were there, and they said it was, you know, top five all-time Fenway moments, and that's saying something in this town. Uh, we've all seen a few here. We've been very fortunate in recent years, so uh, it was just really remarkable, uh, just absolutely pumped up the whole city, which remains pumped up with... Uh, the Sox coming back after three games in Detroit with a 3-2 lead. 
uh, with the game scheduled tomorrow night, Game 6 at Fenway Park. Uh, so, gotta love it. And to uh, set the stage, the prelude for Comeback Sunday in Boston, uh, a couple of other good comebacks on Saturday, specifically uh, the Penn State comeback over Michigan, uh, absolutely electrifying football in front of uh, 100,000-plus fans. Uh, it was just the best Penn State moment since the scandal, period. There's no other way to say it. And uh, as you, as my listeners know, I grew up in that area, so uh, it was just spectacular to see. And Penn State's quarterback, Christian Hackenberg, uh, he's special. And I thought he just showed it. He showed flashes so far. He's 18 years old. He's a freshman. And, boy, he just really uh, came of age that night. And reminds me a little bit of Tom Brady, uh, I must say. The other comeback on Saturday night that was just fabulous to watch was Johnny Manziel leading Texas A&M past uh, Mississippi, Ole Miss in Oxford, where Ole Miss just kept scoring, forcing, forcing Johnny Football to respond, and he did every single time in the fourth quarter. It was really impressive. Uh, He is the most interesting person in American sports right now, period. There's no other player uh, that I will make it a point to watch more than him. So uh, he's just, uh, he's got charisma. That's it. Uh, So, again, that was just really, really fun to watch Penn State back-to-back with uh, Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel. Terrific stuff. My low light of the week was the comments from... Indianapolis Colts owner Jim Irsay, uh, as they call him, I'm pardon the interruption, the mad tweeter. And uh, although I'm not sure these were tweets as much as uh, maybe in a radio interview or whatever, but regardless, he said what he said about the Peyton Manning era in Indianapolis, basically saying, uh, wish he had a few more rings. And obviously, coming a week ahead of the big matchup this weekend where Peyton returns to Indianapolis for Sunday Night Football, uh, you know, the timing was just incredible. Um, but I, I think it was on purpose try to get Peyton off his game. Uh, you know, his remarks were, you know, there, there are certain truths to what he said, no question about it. But uh, hardly a proper welcome home for Peyton Manning, who basically created football. NFL football in Indianapolis. Uh, and, you know, re, it basically, requ- Irsay's comments required practically retorts from, you know, Broncos coach John Fox, Bill Polian, former GM now with ESPN, Tony Dungy, former coach now with uh, Sunday Night Football on NBC. So, just a crazy situation uh, that required. Uh, everybody from all corners to weigh in. And speaking of uh, a, another dust-up due to comments, I, I found the LeBron James comments uh, and return comment from Kevin Garnett uh, regarding Pierce and Garnett going to the Brooklyn Nets from Boston, comparing it to uh, you know the reaction when Ray Allen left the Celtics to go to the Heat. All pretty interesting stuff, to say the least. 
My bizarre story of the week, uh, in light of today's news, that Gronk has been cleared to play, Rob Gronkowski, for the Patriots this Sunday, is simply, you know, uh, the closing, at least for now, apparently, of this chapter in this long, long, long saga that, you know, has been bizarre from start to finish, from the nature of the injuries, forearm breaks, and the infections and the multiple operations and the back surgery and then we move into you know the most recent time of you know the who were the doctors and who was in charge of clearing him to play and it's just been this very unpatriot like saga where you know Belichick Brady and everybody else has just been badgered on a daily basis for the last few weeks on uh whether Gronk was going to play, what does it mean if it di- if he didn't, and blah blah blah. Uh, one of the rare times when uh, you know, in an on-field story, so to speak, where the Patriots uh, simply couldn't get out ahead of it. Uh, the media was leading this story, and it was tough for them to uh, stay abreast. And my event of the week that I attended was the. Uh, Matt Light event, the annual celebrity shootout down in Rhode Island. It's my fourth year in a row attending. It was fabulous. Uh, second one since Matt Light retired from the Patriots. So uh, it, yet bigger and better turnout than ever. And uh, just great to see some current Patriots were there. Uh, Nate Solder and Steve Gregory, uh, Sebastian Vollmer. So Logan Mankins, of course, who's won a couple of these competitions. So again, uh, the Matt Light Foundation doing well and just a tremendous, tremendous event. So now, as my former co-host, Lee Mont Williams from Outside the Huddle likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. And next up will be our baseball historian, Chaz Scoggins. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit. What's it like to live life on the edge? Fire in the hole! It's that feeling of exhilaration after doing something that pushes your limits every day. Action sports athletes live their lives on the edge. Join professional ski patroller, journalist, and author Kim Kircher every week as she talks to guests who are exploring the edge. We'll look at everything including risks, motivation, and the rewards involved with getting out on the edge. You want to tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
Get ahead in business and life. Read Getting It Done, 1,000 of the best-kept secrets for success in business and life by John Capozzi. Learn how John, a successful Connecticut businessman, obtained 13 corporate promotions in 13 years. This book makes a fantastic gift for anyone who wants to get ahead in business. Voice America will donate a portion of every copy sold to the USO. Visit gettingitdone.com and enter promo code VA1234 at checkout to get a 10% discount. That's gettingitdone.com, promo code VA1234 for a 10% discount today. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now... Back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports, and I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we typically have guests, and on the line is our baseball historian, Chaz Scoggins. And welcome, Chaz. Thanks for calling in again today. Yeah, hello, John. Good to be here. Well, good to have you. There's no one else I'd rather have with us than uh, this particular week uh, than you. And I know you were the official scorekeeper for the Red Sox at games one and two of the LCS, ALCS with the Tigers. Uh, why don't we start there? Uh, Big Poppy's Grand Slam. It looked like an all-time moment to me at Fenway Park. You were there, was it? Yeah, certainly, certainly was. I mean, it was uh, certainly. You know, you, I remember looking ahead to it and thinking, okay, if they can, you know, get a run in here. I wasn't thinking grand slam, but I think if they get a couple of guys on driving a run, he gets up with two on, he might have a chance to uh, to hit one out. And uh, certainly he did. And it just turned out that the that, that the bases were loaded. But I mean, those first two games, looking at it, uh, the uh, I, I really thought they were going to get no hit in game one. I mean, Correct. Uh, oh, absolutely. Just uh, one of those games. And, and, and official scores. Sometimes you worry about you know what happens if it's a, if it's a greasy hit, a greasy ball that could go either way, a hit or an error. How do you call it and everything? But I was so right. relaxed during that game because I just had a feeling there was just no way the Red Sox would uh, would get a hit in that game. And I mean, they came close to winning that one too. I mean, uh, 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 Nava finally got the hit and uh, and had Bogarts up there, and he and he popped up, but. Could have hit a ball in the gap, that game would have been tied. So, uh, and as magnificently as Scherzer pitched the second night, and with a five-one lead, you don't expect them to cough up that either. So, uh, one of those situations where uh, they've, they've run into some just phenomenal pitching in this series. Indeed, they have. Indeed, they have. And boy, that's interesting. You would mention the pressure. I mean, you must have been feeling it. I mean, it would have been, you know, the first. No hitter in LCS history, if I'm not mistaken, and it went to, obviously to the ninth inning. Well, Did Holiday threw one in the NLCS back in 2010, I think it was. Well, there so, were, uh, I yes, thought that was the first one in American League Championship Series history, though, and uh, I just really felt it was just one of those games where I just felt that. Uh, the Red Sox were just up there. They're taking half swings, check swings. They did not look comfortable to play. They just didn't see any way at all they would ever get a hit in that game. 
So I was perfectly relaxed. I thought it would be a, a rocking chair. I saw Mike Messina throw a game for the Yankees back somewhere around 2005, I'm going to guess. If Fenway was almost identically at a perfect game with, with two outs in the ninth, and I was scoring that game, and I felt, oh, this is, you know, this is a rocking chair game for a score. There's been nothing close to a hit, and he's just in total command. And then Carl Everett Carl broke Everett. it up. And, uh, and then Nava did, I had the same feeling in this game, and Nava broke it up. Incidentally, both players hitting the ball in the exact same spot, I think, for singles, Everett and Nava, to break up you know, no hitters and perfect games in the ninth. Well, you're probably one of the few people that would remember that little factoid, but... Yeah, I mean, and great minds think alike. I was literally just about to comment on the Mike Mussina game. And if I remember correctly, was that not for a perfect game? Yeah, it was a perfect game. Perfect game, right. Yeah, and then uh, Everett got up, and he had two strikes on him. He was either 0-2 or 1-2, I think, and just, you know, lined the clean single to left center, same way Nava did, and uh, that broke it up. I was convinced Mussina was going to get the perfect game that night, and uh, that's just how dominant he was. And I saw Dominic Scherzer and the Bull, and, and uh, rather, uh, uh, I read the Annabelle Verlander, the bullpen, and, and, and were oh. in that first game, you know, except for the walks. But uh, I, I can't say enough about the, the the Tigers pitching in this series, John, and that uh, it's been totally phenomenal. And until last night, when Annabelle Sanchez finally looked a, looked a little bit mortal. Uh, every pitch they, they they needed to make, they could put it right on the black. And I can't really blame the Red Sox hitters. What I will give the Red Sox hitters credit for is being able to, I think, steal at least the, the first two wins in this series, despite uh, tremendous pitching by the uh, by the Tigers. And I felt that felt that was really important. If they could steal a couple of wins early, they could win this series. Because I mean, let's face it, it's. Uh, it, it, as human beings in this game, and it's unnatural for pitchers to go out and be that dominant game after game after game after game. Uh, if if they could do it, if they could put a pitch on the black anytime they wanted, they'd be throwing five and six shutouts in the row. There'd be more back-to-back no-hitters than Johnny Vandermeer's effort. So I kept thinking, okay, if they can get through these guys, steal a win here, next time they face Scherzer, or Sanchez, Scherzer, and, and Verlander, they uh, these guys might be a little more hittable, and uh, you know, certainly Sanchez was last night. Well, that's exactly right, and the thing that makes it even more amazing, Chaz, is that you know the Red Sox were the runaway best offense in the major leagues this year by a fairly large margin. I think they scored 80, 85 runs more than any other team in baseball, if I'm not mistaken. And so, the second team was the, was the Tigers. Right, right. There and you go. And the Tigers actually had a higher team batting average than the Red Sox. The Red Sox scored more runs, but uh, Tigers were technically a better hitting team than the uh, than the Red Sox were. So you've got the two best offenses in baseball here, and it's it's been except for um, Peavy's game the other night. It's really been a pitcher series. Oh, it really has. And you know the games in Detroit were equally riveting, uh, except for, of course, the PV game. I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, I think we all mentally, if not physically, basically turned that game off at the end of the second inning, after the bottom of the second. You, you just Yeah, the funny thing there, too, though, I mean, if, if Pedroia doesn't mess up the double play in that inning, they're going to get out of that inning with one run, and it becomes a yep. very, very different game. The fact that the Tigers went on to score five runs in that inning is what broke it open, but uh, even though the runs were were earned, 
you know, the fact is, PB could have been out of that inning with with just one run against him, and it would have been a much closer game as well. Yeah, and it's funny how these things work because you know, I'll speak for myself. Uh, you know, I'm not to say I'm some great prognosticator, but when they went up five nothing, I believe it was in the bottom of the second inning. Again, I checked out of that game. I basically started channel surfing and, you know, looping back frequently to make sure I wasn't missing anything. But, you know, I knew that game was over, and I'm guessing a lot of people did too. Whereas, in contrast, last night, when the Red Sox went up 4 nothing, in no way, shape, or form did I have the same feeling I had when the Tigers were up two nights earlier, 5 nothing. I just felt like maybe it was because it was in Detroit. Maybe it was because it was, you know, more, you know, a little more desperation in game five. But I, I just... Didn't feel that game was over. I, I didn't. I thought the Tigers, you know, were going to make a little noise. They did, and of course, it went down. It, those eighth and ninth innings, as a, as they have been for a couple of these games, absolutely riveting. You know, especially well, like we just said, you know, the Tigers were, uh, you know, the, the best hitting team in, in baseball and the second highest scoring team in baseball. See, I, when it got to four nothing, nor I, I certainly didn't think that the game was. Uh, was over by any stretch. I kept thinking the Red Sox needed one more. If they would gotten up six runs in the game, I would have felt comfortable with it. But at four, I had a feeling it wasn't going to be uh, uh, the, the game would get closer, and indeed it, it certainly did. But you know, kudos to the Red Sox bullpen for, for coming through again. I mean, Kiyahara is just incredible to watch. The more I watch him, and I'm well aware of his numbers, they're like, I think they threw some numbers out last night on Fox that Joe Buck that have never been done by anyone in the history of Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, the lowest whip in Major League history walks and hits for any pitch. He, he walked, what, nine guys in, in uh, 70-something innings, and I, I think he gave up fewer than 40 hits. So we're talking Correct. about, you know, about 40-something base runners in, uh, in, in 74, 75 innings, and, and then contrast that with 101 strikeouts as well. I mean, it was, it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal year for him, and uh, he, it, it, you know, I always say it's, it's he, he'd always, I always loved him as a setup guy when he, after the Orioles, he started as a, as a starting pitcher with the Orioles, and then they moved him to the bullpen, and he was only so-so in Baltimore, but as a setup guy in Texas, he had some lights-out numbers, I thought, and hmm. uh, when the Red Sox got him, and obviously that's the role they got him for was to be the setup guy. But I always thought with his ability to throw strikes and minimize his pitches, he could probably be a closer. But they always say, you know, you've got to have the temperament. You've got to be able to do it. Not everybody can do it. And uh, But certainly when they, he finally got a chance to uh, do that role, and I don't believe he'd ever had a major league save before this season, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he adapted to that role right away. Yes, well, he did have a historic season. I mean, at some at one point in time, I think he went from June into like late August, maybe September, whatever, 37 maybe straight scoreless innings or whatever. Uh, right. You know, I, I, just incredible stuff. But nothing is more incredible than what he's doing right now, obviously, given the stakes. I mean, he is befuddling Tiger hitting and, you know, some big I names. Well, I mean, he gave up the home run, game-losing home run to Lobaton and in the Correct. series against Tampa Bay, but I mean, the guy is human. But the fact that he's made so few mistakes, matter of fact, as, as it became obvious the Red Sox were going to go, uh, were going to make the playoffs and probably finish first. And Uehara was on that uh, that long scoreless streak, and I kept thinking, geez, give up some runs here or whatever, you know, give up some hits and runs, because sooner or later you're bound to give them up. And 
at least give them up in the regular season where you already got things uh, wrapped up. It's not going to hurt you, where it certainly will if all of a sudden you uh, return to being a human being again in the playoffs, and, and it does cost you a series. So, unfortunately, I think he did. He did have a game. I think it was only one game in there in, in September where he finally gave up uh, a, a couple of runs, and that was, I was actually and he lost the game. I think I was relieved to actually see that happen because now he's back on track again, and you don't see any reason why he can't continue to do it for as long as the Red Sox season continues. Yes, well, I, again, I think that you know the way he's bounced back from giving up that home run, you know, uh, uh, to lose that game to Tampa Bay, you know, I, I think I and many others wondered, like, uh oh, what does this mean now for him? Like, how's he? Because he hasn't had to recover from anything because he's been so lights out all year. You know, walk off home run, you know, to lose a playoff game, uh, no less. So. That's been impressive, and I'm with you, Chaz. You know, I, I'm not. I don't like streaks going into the playoffs. My comparison is, you know, a couple of years ago when Brady had, you know, thrown whatever 150 straight passes, some un- unbelievable number, maybe a record-setting number without an interception. Was it something like 350 play- passes or something? Yeah, well, they went to the playoffs, and the yeah. first pass of the game against the Jets. Uh, was an interception, and that just set the table for one of the greatest upsets in playoff history, period. And I remember at the end of that year thinking, like, throw an interception, like, get it out of the way. (laughs) So I I do not like streaks carrying over into the playoffs. But uh, I thought of all the great moments, uh, you know, next to Big Poppy, which stands alone, uh, I thought Tajawa striking out Miguel Cabrera, followed by getting Fielder out, in the eighth inning the other night was maybe the, again, next to big poppy, the greatest theater of the last five games. I mean, I thought that was just special stuff there. Yeah. A lot of people don't seem to have a lot of faith in, in, in Tazawa. But the fact is take the Toronto blue Jays out of the equation. He's had a very, very effective year. For some reason, he just could not pitch against the blue Jays. I think he gave up like nine home runs in the regular season. Like six of them were to, were to Toronto players. And uh, hmm. that's the team that just had his number. But I, I'm perfectly confident when when Tazawa comes into a game that uh, that you know that he's going to get the job done. And for the most part, he has. Yes, indeed, he has. Uh, you know, he was out there again last night as well. But uh, again, his, his battle with Cabrera in the bottom of the eighth. I mean, he, you know, he's not Uahara, so you, you know, you're not. You don't think auto, you know he's getting outs automatically so to speak, uh, as you would with Uehara. It's just a little more drama because he's not Uehara. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they both have the same, you know, the same splitter fastball yes. uh, repertoire. But, uh, you know, obviously, Tazawa can't throw his splitter with the accuracy that, that Uehara does. On the other hand, I think Tazawa, because he can throw 95, 96 miles an hour, he can strike out a guy with a fastball that Uehara has, has, has to kind of do it by deception, but Tazawa can do it just on, on power and strength. Yes, well, they both showed up big time. So, I mean, if you're the Red Sox, <laughs> you just got to be loving what these guys are doing in the late innings. I mean, it, it is special stuff. And speaking of special stuff, tomorrow night, game six, Scherzer pitching. Uh, the obvious Cy Young winner, the only pitcher to win 20 games this year. Uh, what do you expect this weekend? Uh, we all know if the Tigers win tomorrow night, there's a Game 7 on Sunday, and that'll be Verlander. So, I really uh, like the Red Sox' chances, and not just because they're up 3-2. to two. And, yeah, you say, 
okay, you know, the Tigers certainly have the two guys going that they would want to have going in yep. Game 6 and, and possibly a Game 7. But like we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, I think the fact that those guys have been just so tremendous that they're, you know, they're due to start making some mistakes some human mistakes out there. I And, you know, we saw it with Sanchez last night that he wasn't as sharp as he was the first time around, and I don't expect that, that, that uh, Scherzer and, uh, and Verlander, if, if, uh, if it goes to a Game 7, will be that sharp uh, sharp either. I mean, you look at Verlander, he had, what, I think, what, 33 consecutive scoreless innings or something until Napoli hit the home run the other night. I mean, that's just... Uh, uh, that's inhuman stuff, and these are and these are human beings. And uh, I just think that the fact that the Red Sox were able to steal a game or two early in the series will uh, will play into their hands. I don't think they'll be quite as um, dominated uh, dominated as they they were the first two times they faced those guys. Well, I agree. I agree. I think it's tomorrow night. I think is just going to be uh, great theater. And by the way, you know if the Dodgers beat the Cardinals tonight, then the Red Sox game is moved up to 4 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow, uh, and then followed by a game seven. I mean, what, any way you cut it, this weekend is about as good as it gets. You know, for me, you know, I mean, I want the, obviously want the Red Sox to win. I live here in Boston, but I also want the maximum number of games. So being a neutral fan of the NLCS, I'm, you know, I, I, I want to see the Dodgers win tonight, So, which would set up just an awesome doubleheader tomorrow needless to say right right yeah so what do you think uh quickly what do you think of the dodgers uh dodgers cardinals what, what, what do you see happen unfolding in st louis here in the next two nights now certainly the you know, the dodgers are banged up a little bit i mean uh, ramirez is playing through that broken rib which has certainly curtailed his effectiveness at the plate anyway and uh ether's got the bad ankle uh, so, you know, they're, they're a little bit banged up. And um, you look on paper and you say that the Dodgers are, are, are clear with their payroll and everything else. You say they're clearly the, the team to beat. But, I don't know, the Cardinals just find a way to do it somehow. They're just such a so professional in the way they approach the game and everything. They never seem to get rattled. I know that last year they, they blew the 3-1 lead in the NLCS and, had a 3-1 lead in this one, too, before the, the Dodgers uh, kept it going the other night. But uh, they're a team that uh, they just don't seem to be intimidated by whoever they're playing against. So it's, uh, it should be a good series. It should be a good, good finale to the series, however it turns out. Oh, it's going to be great. I mean, to me, you know, uh, best pitch in the National League, Clayton Kershaw, taking the hill for an elimination game. Uh, on the road it's as good as it gets in my mind and you know the current cardinals are to baseball what the current patriots are to football just plain and simply the best organization you know you're in you're out uh, you know in these current times and there's no way you can bet against the cardinals with two games at home even with kershaw going tonight so i think he'll win tonight i think it's going to go seven and i think the cardinals will win and uh, I actually think that the, you know, looking for seven on the, on the ALCS, too. I think Scherzer's, he's had that special year. And tomorrow night, again, just like you know, Kershaw. I'll disagree best with you there. on the road. going to win it in six. I think they're going to beat Scherzer tomorrow night. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's a little tough to read. You know, he had the best year of anybody in baseball, certainly this side of Kershaw. Kershaw and uh, so it's a question of, you know, 
is he a special player or is he a, a, a good pitcher who had a special year? Uh, to me, I, I've, I've liked Scherzer for a long time. I was yes. shocked when the Arizona Diamondbacks traded him. And uh, he was just, he had, had some terrific numbers there, and he went to Detroit in that three-corner deal with the, uh, with the Yankees. You know, where the Tigers sent Granderson to the Yankees, and I think the Yankees somewhat, Ian Kennedy, I think, to the Diamondbacks. I was just surprised that they gave up on, on Scherzer, who was real young at, at that time. So I'm not a bit surprised, and while he certainly has had uh, a career year this year, Scherzer's going to be an elite pitcher for uh, the next few years. Absolutely. Well, Chaz, I just want to thank you so much for calling in. It's All right, really Don, been no problem. Fun. Anytime. Been very educational. I mean, you, you really had some great perspectives, some things I hadn't thought about. And again, the fact that you were scorekeeping that potential no hitter in game one that went to the ninth inning without a hit uh, was just, that's, that's good stuff there. So I, I, I can, uh, must have been a night to remember for you, I'm sure, among many. Yeah, among many. <laughs> among many. Well, thanks again. Yeah. Uh, we'll all be watching this weekend and appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to call in today, Chaz. Thanks again. All right, John. All right. Wonderful. And uh, time now for our break. And next up on the line will be our weekly call in expert, AP Stedham of Bama Magazine. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now... Back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports, and I am your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Studham of Bama Magazine. A.P., how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, John. I'm down here in Hoover, Alabama, just south of Birmingham, and we'll be traveling to Tuscaloosa as soon as we conclude the show. Wow, that's great. Well, I, there's a lot going on in 
the uh, in Alabama. Why don't we start with the fact that hard to believe basketball is creeping into uh, our football baseball picture here, and uh, you attended SEC basketball media days in Birmingham uh, this week. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's called SEC basketball, but some people, you know, they call it the Kentucky Invitational. I mean, <laughs> the it was the overwhelming right. uh, uh, media right. choice to win the conference, 21 votes to five for Florida, one for Tennessee. Uh, you know, Kentucky brought in a, a boatload of players, uh, I think it's six or seven high school All-Americans. Uh, interestingly enough, John, the Kentucky freshman hadn't, stepped on over the white line yet he's voted the uh, player of the year preseason player of the year julius randall big six foot nine 250 pound power forward from dallas texas wow uh, so you know calipari you know coach calipari has a lot of young players and he, he made some interesting comments john about coaching them he wants them to fail fast and correct them quickly so he wants them to play, you know, using their instincts, and then he, the coaching staff will make adjustments right there on the spot. But he didn't want any hesitation with that type of talent. I mean, it's like having a one of those thoroughbreds and having the bridle on him, and you're pulling back on him. So he, he's not holding back on any of those freshmen. He wants them to make mistakes fast, and they'll be corrected just as quick. Wow, that, that is interesting perspective. Uh, you know, needless to say, uh when you think of John Calipari in Kentucky, you don't think long-term. It's clearly a one-year window for most of them, and uh, I like that, the Kentucky Invitational. Yes, it's, uh, they, they are basketball royalty, to put it mildly. So, uh, well... Yeah, and how- the media, of course, when, when John's at the lectern and <laughs> at the table, he, he draws a crowd, and he's always entertaining, and forthright and sometimes he's talking to the media sometimes he's talking to his players at the same time trying to motivate them by some of his comments uh you know one of the freshmen uh last name young he said he had about 40 scouts in town they were saying well who is this guy he's he's one of the better ones i mean forget randall is this kid young he might be better than randall so that that's the luxury of being the basketball coach at the university of kentucky he is a fascinating guy. I, I, I kind of like him for the, for the mere reason he grew up in western Pennsylvania, played his college ball at Clarion, a uh, place that I'm very familiar with from growing up there. And uh, more importantly, a couple of years ago, I got to you know sit in on one of his press conferences uh, face-to-face at Mohegan Sun in uh, Connecticut when Kentucky played there against Penn State that day, actually. And... Well, I'll say again what I said today, uh, the following week on, on this very show, which is if you're sitting there talking with John Calipari and you're a recruit or you're a member of the media like me, you're blown away. There is no other way to say it. And more importantly, if you're a recruit, he's impossible to say no to. And more importantly for the recruit, it's more impossible, I think, for the parents, specifically the mother, to say no to this guy. He has an amazingly charismatic personality. He sure does, John, and he's got the track record. He doesn't have to talk very long. He just can show people on black and white on a piece of paper all the success he's had with individual players and, you know, winning the championship at Kentucky. So, it's a it's a struggle if you're going to compete against the same type of players that 
the, the Wildcats are recruiting. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and again, you know, let's not forget for good the good and the bad with uh, his work here at UMass. We all know his much of his time here was quote vacated, but nonetheless, uh, he he led them to the Final Four and. I'll never forget how exciting it was up here in the Boston area when John Calipari took UMass and Marcus Camby to the Final Four. Those were uh, th- those were exciting days, to put it mildly. So yeah, he, so he's had quite a career. You know, Memphis, all of it. I mean, he, he's a compelling character. Obviously, a lot to like, some things not to like. He has a share of critics. We all know that, but uh, you know, the resume is. Uh, Pretty impressive, to put it mildly. Yeah, and he's entertaining, and you need those kind of people. You know, the head coaches in college basketball, they're the stars, and, and they draw the crowds, and, and uh, you know, every, everyone looks forward to hearing every time John Calipari is at a microphone. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of crowds, I mean, the, you know, football media days, uh, media week, for lack of a better word, for the SEC back a few months ago when Johnny Manziel was the headliner. I mean, I think they granted 1,300 credentials. It was, you know, within media circles, that's a near legendary, you know, media experience. Uh, how was the crowd for basketball? I'm guessing it was fewer than, a little fewer than 1,300. Oh, yeah, it sure was. John. I don't have the final figure, but it's, it's nothing in comparison. Uh, you know, if I had to guess, I'd I mean, I'm just going to say it's, you know, in the 150 range, something of that nature, I'm guessing. Okay, well, still, very cool that you were there. Um, and like you said uh, right off the top, you're heading to Tuscaloosa for tomorrow's Alabama-Arkansas game. So why don't we take our break now, and uh, on the other side, we'll talk some college football, if that works for you. Great, John. Look forward to it. Terrific. So once again, we'll take our break now and talk a little football on the other side. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's here. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Are you a Philly sports fan? Maybe you're local to Philly or you're a transplanted Philly fan. Either way, you want to check out Philly Sports Jabronis. It's a radio show that has nothing to do with Chicago sports. It's not about NYC, and L.A. can't even muster a football team of their own. It's all about Philly sports, and nothing but Philly sports most of the time. Join your hosts Mike Greger and Joe Dara every Friday at 7 p.m. Philly time, 4 p.m. on the West Coast for the transplants on the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. 
You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports. I am your host, John Inglesby, and back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And before we get to A.P., uh, my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing is the baseball playoffs, mixed in, of course, as always, in these fall weekends with uh, football, both NFL and college. Speaking of college, A.P., you're going to be covering the big Alabama-Arkansas matchup tomorrow night in Tuscaloosa. You must be excited. Yeah, I'm always excited to be at Bryant Denny Stadium on Saturday evening. And the, the crowd will be, you know, be filled up there over 101,000. And Arkansas, they'll bring their fans. I mean, they have a new coach, Brett Bielema, so he's trying to change their mindset from that uh, Pacino era of throwing the ball all around the, the field. So it's a downhill mindset for them with two strong running backs, two young running backs, freshman and sophomore. But John, they have tremendous numbers. They're you know, averaging 5.9 yards a rush, Alex Collins, and 100, that's 102 yards a game. And his partner there, Jonathan Williams, 6.5, 80 yards a game. Those are big numbers in this day and age where people are running that spread offense and they're, they're trying to, they're trying to copy, you know, like they do at Wisconsin, you know, the, the coach came down to Arkansas. So Alabama's going to have to, you know, toughen up a little bit. They've been playing all these teams that are trying to, run that spread offense, so it'll be a little bit different for the defense this week. Well, absolutely. Well, I watched Arkansas when they played uh, A&M a couple weeks back. That was exciting again. You know, I think every time Johnny Manziel's in a game, it's generally exciting. And uh, But Arkansas certainly showed they have some horsepower, or should I say hog power. But, uh, yeah, Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, you know, Alabama, I mean, it's not a gimme. It's not a layup by any means. Especially for Alabama, you know, powerhouse that they are, um, it should be interesting to say the least to see, uh, you know, to see how Alabama plays, uh, and it's going to be fun, no doubt about it. Um, Alabama, the consensus pick, as we know, for the number one team in the country. Uh, but there are no gimmies in the SEC. Every game is uh, is you know has the potential, no matter what. Um, so we shall just wait and see how it's all going to unfold tomorrow night at Bryant Denny Stadium. And it's a big week. Go ahead, AP. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, John. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a big week for college football, and I'm sure the the people will be interested to uh, view the Florida State Clemson game. Yes, that's going to be on. You know, also tomorrow night. But before we depart on the Alabama topic, I mean, you know, what's the view down? How's Alabama feeling about its, uh, you know, consensus number one team? What's what's the mood down there in? Yeah. Alabama. Yeah, I think they're just—they're trying to stay healthy, John, to get through these next couple of games. Uh, league game, Arkansas, and then next week Tennessee comes to town. They'll have a week off, a bye, and they'll have to face that, as I always call them, that mirror team, LSU, 
if you switch uniforms, you probably couldn't tell the difference. Uh, and it'll be that annual showdown that has so many inc- implications in the league and nationally. So Alabama just trying to get better defensively and groom some of these younger players to be ready for that LSU showdown. They're not taking anyone lightly, of course, and they're always trying to you know, play to the top level that Nick Saban requires. But uh, I think all the folks are just pointing towards that uh, game against that bunch from Baton Rouge. And what's the date on that again? Is it November 9th or something? I know it's coming up soon. Um, but, yes, sure to be another big matchup, uh, to say the least. But you also mentioned, AP, the Clemson-Florida State game tomorrow night. That's national at 8 o'clock. Maybe the biggest uh, ACC game in many a year, as you have the number three and the number five teams in the nation, both with two tremendous quarterbacks, to say the least. Yeah, John, that'll be a, a fantastic matchup because I don't know if Jamison Winston could win the Heisman as a redshirt freshman, but he is he is so talented and especially with his accuracy. I think it's right now in the 70, 73%. Uh, this is going to be his biggest challenge. This has been a series where the, the home team has usually prevailed. I think it was maybe 2006 that uh, one of the teams won on the road, I guess it was Clemson won in Tallahassee. So, you know, it's going to be quite a task for, for the young redshirt freshman to come in there and defeat Clemson, who, who has played uh, fairly well defensively. Of course, that Georgia game, you know, uh, Aaron Murray lit him up for 35 points, but but it should be quite a contest. And, and you know, Taj Boyd, he's a cont- in contention for the Heisman Trophy as well. So both teams are undefeated, a lot on the line. Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, Saturday night in Death Valley. I mean, Jameis Winston, you know. Uh, I don't get too many opportunities to do this, but, you know, a couple weeks ago I just woke up. My day was fairly open. Jameis Winston and Florida State were coming in to play Boston College, so I just, you know, got in my car, drove 20 minutes, and went to the game, mainly to see Jameis Winston. So that's just, that. that's how compelling a figure he has become in just, you know, half of his first season. Uh, again, I, I don't do that for everybody. Um, but I just <laughs> said, you know, this guy might be a special, special athlete, showing every sign that he is. And, uh, you know, he, he, he could be the kind of guy that um, five, ten years from now, I'm going to be looking back saying, boy, am I glad I went in to see him when he was a freshman at Florida State. That's how special he is. Yeah, I believe so, John. I, I believe you're right in that assessment. Uh, but like I said, Florida State has not won there since 2001. So that's quite a few times. But I wouldn't put it past him. He, he's a gamer, this young fella. Nothing seems to bother him. Like I say, this is the generation where they're unconscious. Nothing seems to affect them. The weather, the circumstances, the opponent, they just you know, perform very well under, under trying, uh, situate, you know, difficult situations. Well, exactly, exactly. And in that game against Boston College, I mean, BC jumped out to a, you know, early lead. I think it was a two-touchdown lead at one point. And then uh, famous Jameis, as they're calling him, uh, had, you know, through the equivalent of a 
first half Hail Mary on the final play of the first half uh, the Clemson, or excuse me, that uh, Florida State scored on. And that pretty much was that, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and, and that was the end of it. So, uh, but, you know, college football, I felt it really heated up last weekend. I mean, the Michigan-Ohio State game, uh, absolutely spectacular, you know, viewing. And I have, you know, a partial interest uh, toward, you know, in having grown up near Penn State. That was great stuff. And then, you know, followed that up immediately with, uh, you, you know, watching Johnny Menzel's comeback uh, leading Texas A&M. Uh, in the fourth quarter to come back against Ole Miss, who was just relentless themselves. And then, you know, all this, while the Red Sox are getting no hit. I mean, that's my idea of a fun sports Saturday uh, by any standard. Yeah, absolutely, John. Uh, Nobody seems to be able to stop Manziel. I mean, they they might win the game, but you never stop him. I mean, in his early career, uh, the freshman last year, Florida and LSU uh, contained him uh, fairly well, but since then, I mean, there's no stopping that young man, uh, regardless of what happens on or off the field. He's just fantastic. He's, I've never seen anything like him. He is. He's, uh, he, he is appointment television, period, you know. I put it this way, you know, I, I made, you know, as specific as plans as to watch him on Saturday night as I did to watch Michigan Penn State, where, again, I have sort of a lifelong interest in that team. So that's how compelling he is, you know. And, again, and I'm sitting here in Boston where they're, you know, in the middle of their own drama with the Red Sox playoffs that, again, once the game started, became more compelling by the pitch, given that they were being no hit. And uh, so, again, yeah, but Johnny Menzel, he is really uh, – He's he's the funnest athlete football player I can remember watching since Doug Flutie. There's just no other way to say it. Um, and, and for me, that's saying a lot because he, he he was pretty special uh, in his own right. So uh, yeah, he, he's just a fascinating character. No other way to say it. Yeah, he he's the supersonic sized Doug Flutie. You know, taller and right. faster and and. Uh, you know, when you can lead the SEC in rushing and have over 5,000 yards, uh, that's incredible. Uh, I just wanted to say one thing. Uh, this week, the SEC had eight teams in the top AP 25. That's the first, first time, time ever. In history. That's right, correct. And there's been uh, several leagues who had seven, the SEC, ACC, and Big Ten. But just, that just gives you an indication of how the folks feel about that league. You know, even though... There's some people who feel they get too much press, but they've, they've been able to uh, survive. Those numbers say it all, AP. I'd say you're a pretty lucky guy to be covering the number one team in the country and the number one conference in the country doing as historic things as far as, you know, just the entire conference just, uh, again, setting the college, world, college football world on fire. Yeah, John, you're right. I never take anything for granted, especially this golden age. I, I'd been around for Alabama's golden age with Coach Bryant, and I wasn't sure I'd ever see it again. But this year ranks pretty equal with it. You know, it's, it's, you know he's catching up. So absolutely, I don't know what's going to happen? But I'm still, you know, like living in a dream right now, just being here and covering the, the team. 
Well, enjoy it. I know you do. And enjoy tomorrow night in Tuscaloosa, AP. Once again, thanks for calling in. Great comments, as always. And uh, look forward to doing it again next week. Well, thank you, John. And have yourself a great weekend. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, AP. And thank you again, Voice America listeners, for tuning in this week. And we'll do it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.